Today's episode of Peers to Peers is powered by Shopify, the leading global commerce company that's shaping today's entrepreneurial economy. What started as three mates in a coffee shop trying to sell a snowboard has ended in thousands of employees around the world, bringing over 1.7 million businesses to life. You could say Shopify is a peer to us and entrepreneurs around the world. So peers, if you're looking to start your own business, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Hello, peers, and welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akidinol, founder of Leading Australian Podcast Agency and 2021 Australian Podcast Awards finalists, The Peers Project, and your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite an inspiring millennial entrepreneur from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer to peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way, pursue your passion, and why there's really nothing better. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, peers, and welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Most of us will remember a time where we've tried to fit in, from the schoolyard to the office. Figuring out where you belong can be challenging, throwing class differences and privilege, and it's a whole different level of keeping up with the Joneses. In today's episode, we hear from Kira Matthew, General Manager of Equip Foods and the founder of Gen Z marketing agency, Amplify. Today, Kieran shares how he got caught up in the material and monetary, why we need to detach from external validation, and how to get back to your roots to keep your feet on the ground. For those of you who haven't yet posted about our podcast on your socials, or if you're new here, firstly, welcome. And please do take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at The Peers Project, so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs and help us in our mission to empower you all to pursue what you're most passionate about through entrepreneurship. Okay, peers, without further ado, welcome Kieran. Kieran, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat. Awesome. So, you know, you and I recently connected and when I looked into you and all of the incredible work you're doing and business, marketing and our food, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks. That's that's very generous, but it's been a, a fun journey and I'm learning a ton. Awesome. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. So I am uh, currently 25 years old, based in Toronto. I started my first company when I was at university. Long story short, I didn't know what I wanted to do after graduation. 
Uh, like many students, I thought I wanted to go to law school until I began to ask a lot of lawyers for coffee and then quickly realized that that path absolutely was not the right path for me for a number of reasons. Began to work with a number of startups, basically cheap and cheerful work. They needed somebody that could do whatever they needed help with from sales to marketing, etc. I had limited experience and wanted to kind of understand both where my interests lay, but also where my competencies were. Started to work with a lot of early stage founders at an on-campus accelerator at my school. Quickly learned that I had some basic competency in the marketing slash sales realm uh, and ultimately had a bit of an intersection of interest there as well. And the work I was doing with those startups early on was basically helping them get early adopters. The easiest way to get early adopters was to leverage our network on campus as students, given these were student-run companies at a student-driven accelerator. So we basically found email lists, we partnered with clubs, we did a whole bunch of creative things to get people using the products, providing feedback, etc. And I began to question why big brands like banks, telecom, consumer packaged goods, etc., we're not leveraging some of those more grassroots localized marketing strategies that we were using for those startups, given we were seeing pretty meaningful success and ultimately just a lack of understanding and a lack of meaningful connection when it came to big brands targeting that university slash college demographic. So long story short, did some research to validate whether that kind of lack of brand trust was a me problem or a larger symptom across the student market, quickly validated that it was, began to play the numbers game, reaching out to brands saying, I'm a student, I've worked with these startups, this is the kind of work we've done, here are the results. I recently conducted some research in this segment. Here's what I learned about how your brand's performing or how your marketing and advertising's performing. And subsequently, here's how I think you can improve your marketing efforts. If you're interested in having a conversation about it, I'd love to chat. Played the numbers game, um, probably got, if I had to guess, 2 or 3% responses on all the outreach I did. But ultimately, that got me in the door with a few brands. And from there, I started doing some consulting work on how to reach students, how to effectively engage students. That led me to realize the demand was not only for research and consulting, but also marketing implementation, because there just weren't a lot of services businesses that could actually execute the strategies we were doing. So decided to build an integrated marketing services company that started with research and ultimately provided everything from influencer to experiential to digital marketing. Oh, Karen, I love it. It's just so cool to hear that your idea for your first business just came from you just navigating the space yourself and then just reaching out and, and kind of identifying that opportunity there for big brands and, and businesses. And I can't wait to dive deeper into the making of your business Amplify. But before we do, I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, where did you grow up and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Yeah, absolutely. I actually grew up in kind of the greater Toronto area, as well as a small town an hour east of this city uh, for about a decade. So for, I guess, my pivotal years of, of upbringing, that's when I lived in the small town. I lived with my parents, a couple dogs, and my grandfather actually lived with us. So that definitely helped with my upbringing. My grandfather and my dad and my grandmother uh, came to Canada as refugees from 
the Biafran war in Nigeria. So there's definitely sort of a immigrant type mindset and almost like a scarcity type mindset to some degree in my DNA from them. So, I mean, definitely influenced by that. I wanted to work at a very young age. I uh, began kind of handing out my resume to uh, the shops in my small town in grade six going into grade seven or grade seven going into grade eight, actually Um, ended up getting a job dusting and restocking uh, shoes at a shoe store. And then I actually got fired about two weeks into the job because I was too young to legally be working, um, making a whooping, I think, seven sixty an hour at the time. So I uh, unfortunately couldn't work that summer uh, or, or I guess more accurately had to do some work under the table at that time <laughs> since I was too young to legally be an employee and then went back at it uh, the summer after. But that's... Uh, kind of a glimpse into kind of my my upbringing and, and some influences uh, and ultimately just started working young and have always enjoyed working and uh, haven't haven't really stopped. Haven't stopped since. <laughs> I, I love it. Yeah, I just love asking that question. I think understanding kind of how you grew up, influences from your parents, from your grandfather, it seems in your case and that, you know, them migrating to Canada – what was the greatest thing that your grandfather taught you? Definitely just the value of, of being frugal. Regardless of income or success, I, I learned that uh, there's real value in just living simply and uh, there's real value in, in getting a good deal. My, my grandfather used to go to two or three grocery stores uh, to compare prices back to back before he would actually return to the one that had the best price for the items that he was shopping for. It's definitely something that didn't really resonate with me growing up because I just thought it was a criminal waste of time and obviously just wanted to be a kid and not be lugged around to a few grocery stores to save 10 cents on a banana, for example. But that was something that was kind of instilled in me, just the value of living simply, living humbly, and ultimately just realizing that you have really everything you need when you have food, shelter, health, friends, family, that's all you can really ask for. And obviously learned a ton from him, uh, especially living together for for a decade. But that's something which he really uh, instilled in me. It's so refreshing to hear, Kieran. I think, especially those from, you know, of our generation, 25, you're 25 and saying this, and it's so cool because, you know, we're the generation of more, more, more. And, you know, especially Gen Z, you know, it's, it's more, more, more. That's what's going to make it better. Instant gratification. You know, as you started to grow up and were thrown into that world of tech that we all were, you know, during that time, um, and you left the small town and you left kind of living with your grandfather, was there ever a moment where you felt like you lost sight of that value? And how did you navigate through that? And for our peers out there listening who feel like perhaps they've lost sight of it themselves right now and they just don't know how to get back to their roots and, and whatnot, you know, what advice would you have for us? Yeah, absolutely. That was a huge, huge challenge for me. So I um, went to university and was almost immediately immersed in a community of people that came from families much more well off than mine. So I was just immersed into this community where people were able to kind of get whatever they wanted. And I just couldn't really keep up but I really felt the need to keep up to want to kind of fit in. It just fueled that sort of scarcity mindset that I already had, except it translated from scarcity mindset to 
do things like pay the bills growing up versus uh, do things like buy designer clothes to try and fit in with these people to just make appearances, etc. So honestly, that was one of the driving motivations around the time where I started the first business is frankly, I, I didn't go in thinking I wanted to make a meaningful impact in the world or change this. I just wanted to make money. And more accurately, I wanted to make money to kind of impress people or, or ultimately do something that I thought would impress people by buying fancy things and showing up to fancy places and and sharing that on social, et cetera. So at that time, I didn't realize that was a problem, although I, I kind of sensed that it wasn't uh, healthy given it was creating some anxiety. So, I mean, long story short, that was a problem at university, started the first company, left school eight months into my third year to run the company full time, moved from my university town to Toronto and was definitely very much still fueled by that desire to kind of impress people to fit in versus impact related, I guess, objectives, which shifted for me over time. But about 12 months into building this company full time after leaving school, I just had crippling anxiety, because I had sort of put myself up on this pedestal, uh, or perceived, I guess, pedestal in the sense that I had crafted this sort of narrative about myself on social and I was so worried of that sort of narrative being broken. So instead of trying to build a great company, my focus was really on not failing because I thought, okay, well, if I fail, then I'm not going to look impressive anymore. I'm not going to be able to buy things. I'm not going to fit in with these people, et cetera. So I was just so, so afraid of failure combined with actually just growing up with a generalized anxiety disorder that combination of the two just made me, I, I was sick for a long period of time. I was waking up exhausted every day. I went through a period of probably three or four months where I tried eight or nine different anxiety slash depression medications, and none of them actually worked for me, but all of them had bad side effects. I just realized at that point, this was not sustainable, obviously, and that became a catalyst to doing quite a lot of meaningful introspective work. That's when I began kind of uh, this meditation habit somewhat out of necessity, but it's become a, a very crucial part of my routine. And ultimately, it just enabled me to see this sort of act I was putting on. It just made me become aware of basically what I just shared and, and why that need was arising. And basically, it was just fueled by a feeling of, of inadequacy at the time. And ultimately, I, I do think this is true for most people, but when you kind of become aware of those acts, uh, just that awareness itself is half the battle. So for me, once I became aware of it, I just sort of had this aha moment where I realized, oh, this is this is actually not not necessary and not benefiting me. So it really enabled me to step back, kind of reevaluate why I was building that business at the time. And uh, ultimately, the, the, the goals went from revenue generation to, to much more. And that's when I began to question what, what actually really lights me up in, that, in this business. And it's interesting how those very challenging periods or the ultimate downturns uh, end up being the catalysts for really meaningful, positive change. So, I mean, in that sense, I'm very grateful for all that uh, anxiety I was experiencing. Kieran, 
been nodding along. Thank you so much for sharing so vulnerably with us. And this is the kind of chat that we crave on this podcast. And so we so appreciate that. A question I've got for you is how can we get better at detaching ourselves from this external outcome like money or fame or whatever, social status, and just live in our truth? Like it can be so hard. You know, what advice would you give to those of us? And I definitely still have an element of this and I'm always watching myself, you know, but even still like not becoming so attached to that external outcome. What advice would you have for us? Yeah, I, I think environment's a huge factor. I mean, I can't pretend that I am perfect in in just living by this new, I guess, truth, which I came to to understand or realize during that very challenging period. But there are definitely moments where uh, I guess I'm a victim of the environment where I sort of feel that desire to, to fit in or uh, whatever the case is. So it's definitely environment driven. I mean, I think a classic case, if we think about kind of material wealth is uh, even just living somewhere like let's think about living in Miami versus a rural town in in Australia, for example, your environment's definitely going to influence what you want to buy, who you want to be around, your desire to fit in, etc. So I'm not saying don't live in a big city. I live in a big city. I'm just saying, try to be conscious of those environmental factors which will influence your desire to be or act or 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 buy things that you might not need um to to fit in so just trying to be conscious of that is is very valuable for me uh but i think the most important point about using work as a means to an end versus the work being an end in itself is just doing work which you find satisfying and and ultimately which the way I think about it is just something which gives you energy versus takes energy away I think that's just the key is not making work a means to an end meaning the end being let's say a an award or goals or money etc but the work should be an end in itself because you're doing meaningful work that that helps others and contributes to society hopefully in some way shape or form so for me right now, I'm building this uh, health and supplement business and there's nothing that excites me more than interacting with customers and them sharing that we made their day or we made their week because we provided a, a product that actually just helps them live an easier, healthier, happier life in some way, shape or form. Maybe it's a sleep product that gave them the best sleep they've had in a while. Maybe it's a protein product that enabled them to make their favorite breakfast or discover their favorite breakfast in the morning. We've never been a breakfast person. So it's those little things. I I actually spend a lot of time interacting with customers because I just find it so satisfying to make somebody's day a little bit better by helping them in some way, shape or form with a customer service related ask or by providing them with, with a great product. So I would definitely suggest that if somebody's focused on the ends in itself, meaning money or status or or something else that perhaps if nothing's lighting you up in the work you are doing, then maybe it is time to explore uh, something else. Why do you think we don't take the leap and don't actually go and explore that thing or something else? Everything you're saying, I'm just nodding along. It's so, so true. But I think so many of us know that what we're doing isn't fulfilling. It's just paying the bills or it's allowing us to buy that car or that house or whatever it may be. 
but we know that there perhaps is something else we could be doing or perhaps something else out there that we don't know that we could be doing that will provide a bit more personal satisfaction, you know. Why do we just stay in the comfort and how can we get better at kind of stepping up for ourselves and those around us? Yeah, I think some of that is a fear of failure. Ultimately, it's quite comfortable in many cases to do a job which maybe has simple, consistent hours and to ultimately get paid and be able to pay your bills. That's awesome. And nobody should ever criticize somebody which is is doing that. It doesn't necessarily really matter what you're doing. If you're trying to kind of find that peace and, and happiness, it's it's going to be found internally. And I, I also think that a lot of those, I guess, status games or, or money games um, are fueled by, for me anyway, I, I can't say this is true for anyone else, but a feeling of inadequacy. So I think that the real challenge for everybody is just figuring out how to realize that you are enough and that you kind of have everything you need already. But obviously, if you have those basics, I think that the real challenge an opportunity is just to figure out a way to feel whole with with what you have and the circumstances you're in. And then anything else is just a huge added benefit, which is definitely no easy task. But uh, there's a lot of great books out there. There's a lot of great tools. I mean, I even think something like a gratitude practice enables you to just find those little moments of appreciation or appreciation for smaller things in your life that we might take for granted, but um, are actually just so uh so so wonderful i think you're just so right you know i think it's appreciating that where we are right now and i'm saying this to myself as well you know where we are right now with what we're currently doing like we are enough and so many times just for me that personally resonates so much so many times when i'm pricing something in business or when i'm just trying to do something i just think oh no i just i'm not sure and again it's that self-doubt that we put into ourselves because we believe that we aren't enough in that moment or in general. And I think it's that constant battle within ourselves, like telling ourselves that it's okay, that, you know, we are enough and having, as you said, those gratitude practices. The next question I want to ask you about this meditation practice of three years, you know, you said that with the meditation, it came out of that necessity piece. After you kind of took care of that, how did you keep going? And, you know, how can we get better at embedding those practices that keep us grounded, that keep us centered in our daily lives? Like, you know, how can we get better at that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I was both unlucky and lucky early on that it felt like a necessity for me to maintain that practice. And then obviously I got to a point, thankfully, where the anxiety became a little bit more manageable. Truthfully, this isn't a healthy motivation, but I think part of it is is definitely that fear of potentially slipping back to an uncomfortable, anxious state. That was definitely part of it during that three-year-plus process now. But ultimately, I just realized that it's very hard to carry the calmness and sort of peace that I find during a meditation throughout the day. And especially on the days where I feel particularly high stress, I realized that even if I can only sit down for 10 minutes, I, I try to do about an hour a day, but even if I can only sit down for 10 minutes, then maybe it'll take four minutes for me to settle in. Two minutes, I'll be thinking, even if I can only get one minute of uh, calm, then that's definitely better than zero minutes of calm. So 
for for me, it's just realizing that this is a really impactful practice that I'm generally able to get to a state of, I guess, peace or, or calm that unfortunately I can't always maintain during the day. And also, frankly, just that I, I think I'm a better colleague, a better friend, a better family member when I maintain that practice because I get out of my head during that practice and just kind of into me, however we're going to define that. So just that separation from all the thoughts and and feelings that I experience during the day uh, into whatever is there when when you have some separation from those thoughts and feelings. Such valuable advice. I want to talk a bit about the shift that you had in your first business from, I just want to make all this money to like keep up appearances and like for all of this external validation, that kind of thing to, hey, let me think about the thing I actually want to do. What brings me joy in what I'm doing? And then that shift when you decided that, okay, it's actually employing all of these amazing students and whatnot. You know, you were at this business, I think, for about five and a bit years. You know, at what point did that shift happen? And then at what point in this business did you just feel like, you know what, I've given it my all, it's time to move on, which I know that you, I think it was mid last year that you made the transition and now you're running your your new company. You talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So the first happened about one and a half-ish years into building the business. That's when kind of my anxiety was highest. Ultimately, that, I guess, reshift of the motivations occurred just by starting to do some introspective work. And and all it really took to reshift those motivations was first realizing kind of that act I was in, which was number one and most important. But secondly, just kind of asking the question and, and doing some writing and journaling on what what really lights me up, what really makes me happy. And, and all it took to figure that out was thinking through that kind of at the end of a day for over a course of, let's say, a month, for example, making one small note, uh, maybe taking two minutes and saying what what kind of lit me up today. And that's when I started to see uh, some patterns. And most of those patterns were in regards to working with students uh, or helping students in some way. And the best way that I could help students at the time was by providing them with meaningful work while they were studying and ultimately helping to equip them for their future post-graduation. So all it took was asking the question, what lights me up? Making a bit of a habit of writing that down after kind of before bed, sitting down, okay, well, what what made me happy today? And then looking for patterns in that and seeing, okay, well, these are the things that are actually giving me energy while I'm working versus taking energy away. And then just trying to find ways to spend more time on those things, of course, because anything which gives you energy and, and gets you excited and makes you happy is obviously something you probably want to uh, allocate as much time and attention as you can to. Pre-COVID, about 50% of my marketing services company Amplify's revenue was coming from various streams of on-campus marketing. So we were working with a lot of Fortune 500s, the likes of Pepsi and L'Oreal and Procter & Gamble, Unilever and and some tech companies like Lyft, for example, or, or Chegg. Um, so lots of big sort of Fortune 500 slash 1000 brands. But a lot of the work we were doing was research and then integrated digital and experiential. Digital, everything from media buying, influencer, etc. But often integrating that with some sort of on-campus experience or longer term 
student related ambassador program where we're actually either coming to campus or engaging students off campus in high traffic areas to introduce them to a product or service in a, a more meaningful way. So we lost most of that because as soon as the pandemic came around, every school in Canada went online and ultimately some of them are still online. So obviously as any entrepreneur does try to do every pivot possible to maintain the business, but it became clear after just having honest, transparent conversations with clients that there was a real lack of appetite to spend until things got back to normal in the sort of university and college segment in Canada. Um, that a lot of brands were leaning more into traditional mass media, especially early on in the pandemic, where we saw pretty much every large company share the same we're sticking together type commercial and spending on that and just buying ads on TV and social, et cetera, with some version of that kind of messaging. And that's definitely not what, what we did, but um, there's a hundred of uh, other marketing companies which could help uh, them with that. So we had that pivoting wasn't uh, really working. So I had to kind of make a decision of what to do. I knew that I wanted to move on from the marketing services world at some point. Like I mentioned, loved working with students. But the thing I appreciate almost the most of, out of this entrepreneurial journey is the freedom it affords creatively. And in the marketing services world, although there's an opportunity to obviously be creative, in our specific case, we were very heavily constrained by client constraints. So uh, budget, uh, direction, etc., Although we would definitely be influencing strategy, it was ultimately the client that would be deciding what we did and how we did it, etc. So I really wanted the opportunity to own and operate a product uh, to deal with customers directly versus being kind of a medium between those companies and students in this case. And this sort of provided me with that catalyst to say, okay, well, either I can wait it out. We can certainly generate enough business to continue maintaining something here and ultimately more than likely rebrand and, and build something great over time. Or I can actually just use this as a catalyst to move on, potentially leave some money or unknown kind of upside on the table, obviously. But um, if not now, then then when? So I decided to to do that. I spent most of the summer ensuring the full-time team members I had got hired elsewhere with no lapse in employment before moving on. Everybody did, thankfully. So that was my number one concern. And after that, they were looked after. Ultimately, all I had to do was just ensure that clients were well looked after. So we were able to figure out some interesting ways to give them playbooks to do the kind of work that we were doing either in-house or with other agencies. So it ended up actually being a really positive outcome for me an outcome I was quite content with. And ultimately it accelerated my path to owning and operating a product, which I knew I wanted to do over time, but wasn't sure how I would get there. So in a weird way, this resulted in me getting to the place that I actually did want to go. I'm fortunate to be involved in a couple of sort of founder peer communities. One of my friends knew I wanted to get into the consumer packaged goods space and happened to be connected with the founder of Equip, who launched the brand a few years back. We live in this era where it's very hard to understand what we're putting in our bodies. 
a lot of the products we buy are ultra processed. We're buying things which are made in a lab. And if we look at the ingredient lists, most of us won't be able to tell you what half the things on those ingredient lists are or if they're good or bad for you. So what we do at Equip is just make really high quality products made from 100% real foods with pretty much the shortest ingredient lists you'll find on market. So a lot of our products have one, two or three ingredients. So yeah, it's health and performance supplements, uh, everything from a um, grass-fed beef protein powder, actually, which thankfully tastes like dessert and not like beef, to a pre-workout. It's uh, this opportunity arose somewhat serendipitously where the founder was looking for somebody to kind of become his partner and the general manager. So uh, yeah, thankfully I was able to figure out a deal with him. The, I loved the products when I tried them. Thankfully, obviously that was key. I also saw that there was a really strong kind of untapped ceiling here because the teams interestingly sort of never really invested meaningfully in marketing. That's kind of my background. So we'll we'll see what's possible, but I've been stepping in kind of running that business for several months now. Similar to that exercise I did with with an Amplify and figuring out what really gets me going, I just realized that the opportunity to actually just make someone's day a little bit better by providing them with a really great product or providing them with really great service when they're trying to solve a problem, that's what gets me very excited and kind of gives me energy, all those interactions. So that's sort of how I, I guess, somewhat serendipitously came to this opportunity, but it was mostly just a function of community building because I, I was fortunate to be immersed in this community, doing my best to help out others in that space. And ultimately, as a result, uh, one of my friends has thought of connecting me with the founder of this business. Uh, yeah, thankfully, we were able to figure out a way to to work together. So it's been fun and again, kind of serendipitous, but uh, just influenced by, I guess, trying to cultivate meaningful relationships with others. So well put. And I just love the touching on, yeah, meaningful relationships and genuine value exchange and value add. I think it's just definitely something I'm taking away and I hope our peers out there listening are soaking that up and kind of realizing that in so many ways you made your own luck, you know, I think, yes, of course, serendipitous, but I think also you wrapping up your business, looking within, just making the decision to wrap up your business and then kind of putting yourself out there in that way, almost like opened up space for this thing to happen, which is super cool to see. Oh, Kieran, we could speak for days. This is so good, but I am mindful of your time. So I've got a couple of final questions for you. And well, the first one is, what has been your greatest failure and win to date? So my my biggest win is definitely employing over 3,000 students. That was, uh, yeah, again, something which just really excites me. I didn't really realize that the number was that high until I actually reflected and, and went back to see, oh, we worked with this many students this year, et cetera. So that's, uh, I, I'm just very grateful for that opportunity, um, recognizing that a lot of those students got value from from the work they were doing with us, thankfully, uh, and, and not just uh, financial value, obviously. So that's absolutely my biggest win. I've had a lot of failures uh, in that time where I was trying to, I guess, make money to impress people, etc. I caught sort of the entrepreneurial bug where I thought, okay, well, if this business is generating X amount of revenue, then why don't I just get involved and co-found another business so that I can double the amount of revenue that I have 
Both things ended up not working very well. And by both things, I mean Amplify and this company because I was trying to build two businesses at, at once and two early stage businesses. My biggest failure was during that period when I was just so greedy, I was trying to do multiple things at once. I was distracted. It's hard to do one thing really well, but never mind two or three things really well at, at the same time. Um, and I simply can't do that. I need to be 90% plus focused on on one thing and do that. Uh, and obviously just think about it most of the time and, and try to excel at it. So that's my key lesson there is for me, it's about focusing on one thing and focusing on doing one thing really well and just trying to kind of enjoy that process. Such a good takeaway. Kieran, over the last five years in business, you've really gone from strength to strength. You know, throughout all the failures and all the struggles, you've also obviously received so much recognition for your work and had so many wins. And most recently you were featured on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. Kieran, what are three pieces of advice that you would give our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you were just starting out? At number one is just persistence. So in Amplify, a lot of our biggest accounts uh, came from extremely long sales cycles that most people wouldn't be comfortable undergoing or wouldn't have the patience to undergo. For me, it was just realizing that there's likely going to be a time and uh, when when these people need what we have to offer, even if it's not the opportunity that I originally envisioned, something more than likely will arise over time. So for me, that persistence was sending those clients or potential clients a note at least a few times a year saying, here's what we've been up to, here's what we've accomplished. Um, but more importantly, just including a personal note. So whenever I would connect with those people, I would say maybe they had a son that was excelling in baseball, for example. So I would always include obviously the key things like the updates in, in regards to what we were doing, what we had accomplished and say, if there's any way we can help, please, uh, please reach out just so that they actually didn't forget us, obviously, because it would have been easy for them to, to forget us given how often these people get pitched. Um, but I think the most important thing was just trying to be personal there. So that persistence was so, so key for me. There was certainly more than one case where I had sent a reasonably aggressive amount of follow-ups, not in a short amount of time. I mean, I'm talking like 10 or 12 follow-ups, maybe over three or four months, just realizing that some busy people are truly actually just busy and have insane inboxes that they can never keep track of. And that's exactly what happened more than once is someone would say, my goodness, I'm so sorry, but I'm so thankful that you did keep following up because I never would have seen this if you hadn't sent the most recent email. So let's have a conversation or I'm going to connect you with this person who can take this conversation further. So Obviously be smart. I mean, try not to annoy people, I guess, to some degree, but also realize that a lot of people are just frankly busy. Just realizing that the highest risk in those cases where you're trying to be persistent is that someone just says, please stop emailing me, which is actually really not a bad outcome. At least, you know, yeah, that persistence was absolutely key for me in building those relationships and and getting business and uh, ultimately building a, a half decent uh, marketing services business over over five years. So that's number one. Number two, which I think is probably true for 90% of young people is just like I mentioned earlier, just stay focused, whether you're trying to go the more traditional route of working for somebody else or starting a company, especially early on, 
to become competent or very competent, hopefully to excel at, at something, you need to dedicate a meaningful amount of attention and time to it. So I would err on the side of doing one thing and doing one thing exceptionally, even if that's something very niche, because you could become the best person in the world at making PowerPoints, for example. You could turn that into a nine-figure business somehow over time by, for example, creating some automated platform, which enables somebody to create the perfect PowerPoint every single time in a few clicks. So just don't worry about, don't worry about, um, or don't think that any task you're doing is, is necessarily too small. If you're enjoying what you're doing, lean into that and become extremely competent at it. Because I would say, even if you're becoming extremely competent at one thing, you'll notice that you gain skills in doing so and ultimately that it might translate to something much much bigger uh, and totally unpredictable over time so persistence uh, focus and then assuming that you have shelter and assuming that you have some semblance of health and hopefully food on the table family and friends just just try to realize that everything else, uh, or, or I guess more importantly, internalize and feel and kind of experience that that's really truly enough and that anything else is just kind of luxury. Just try to be grateful for, for what you have, assuming you have those basic necessities and, uh, and try to help others get those basic necessities if you're able to, because there's a lot of people which unfortunately, uh, don't have them and, and need some help. So yeah, I would just say, try to remember that you're always enough. Try to stay focused, especially early on in your career, and just be persistent. Oh, such good takeaways. Kieran, before I ask you the final question, I want to take a moment to acknowledge you for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing, you know, for showing us, and particularly us ambitious Gen Z millennials, that it's okay to look within and ultimately pursue that, and that we don't have to get caught up in what's happening around us in believing that we're not enough and through your journey and your story and everything you've shared today we really feel that and we really appreciate you for that i really appreciate it hope uh hope this conversation is helpful for at least one person (laughs) (laughs) absolutely so the final question is how we finish every episode of the peers to peers podcast and that is what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about i would say it just gets back to having the work be an end in itself, having the process be an end in itself versus a means to an end. When you're really interested in what you're doing, you can just kind of be present and enjoy every moment, every hour, every day, instead of using that day, moment, hour, et cetera, as a means to getting something else. So exploring what you're passionate about and and leaning into those passions just enables you to uh, be satisfied with where you are and what you're doing versus just using that to get somewhere else. And obviously, if you're just using the present as as a means to get somewhere else, then it's going to be very hard to be satisfied and, and happy. So that's, uh, that's what I think is most important. So well said. Kieran, thank you so, so much. I had an absolute blast. It's been so cool to chat. Where can we learn more about you and Equip Foods? Absolutely. I appreciate that. So, um, Equip site is just equipfoods.com. Uh, we ship everywhere in the world. Um, and I'll set up a little promo for any listeners here in case they want to try. So I'll just make it, uh, peers 20 for 20% off. So feel free to type that in if you want to give, uh, anything a shot. 
I don't write as much as I should, but I have a site, kieranmatthew.com, where I have a list of my favorite books, uh, a thread on meditation routine and how I've sort of maintained that over time, which I hope some people might find helpful because I think it applies to a lot more than just meditation. And then I'm reasonably active on Twitter and Instagram. I think if you search Kieran Matthew with one T, uh, I'll, I'll come up there. So yeah, those are the main places and uh, appreciate everyone's uh, support. Always perfect. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thank you so much again. It's been so, so awesome. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Remember, Peers, we're here to help you turn your passion into a business. And so is Shopify. And so if you're looking to start your biz, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review. We produce with passion, and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.